Hello and welcome to JP Morgan At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan from the FX Strategy Group. Uh, and today we are joined by two other members from the FX team, Arindam Sandalia from Singapore and Patrick Locke from New York. So clearly it has been a Eurocentric uh, week uh, for FX markets and we will pass these issues shortly. Uh, but focus is now going to shift to the US next week given the Fed meeting on the 27th plus there are developments in China that are worth uh, unpacking as well. So let's let's start with the US first, uh, Pat. Uh, markets and consensus have pretty much settled on 75 basis points hike for the Fed next week. Uh, what are the main issues that FX investors should focus on at this meeting? Thanks, Mira. Um, so from our side, you know, we'll be focused on, on how the Fed balances kind of the mix of growth and inflation. Um, growth continues to slow in the US, which I think makes it something more of a balancing act you know, than it has been in recent meetings. Uh, that said, you know, inflation is obviously still an issue here in the US and, and US growth is not entirely rolled over, uh, especially when you look at certain metrics like non-farm payrolls. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's reasonable that, that the Fed maintains a pretty aggressive tone around inflation next week, you know, especially given the fact that 75 basis points only brings you back to about neutral uh, and not into restrictive territory, which is you know where the Fed has been guiding us uh, the last couple of months. Uh, and I think in that case, the dollar can remain bid on a broad basis. Okay, and we have been advocating a bullish stance on the dollar, um, as you said. In your opinion, what sort of a Fed outcome would it take to rethink this view? Is there anything the Fed can do at all to change it? I think it's a relatively high bar for the Fed to drive kind of sustainable dollar weakness. Um, I think it would take something closer to a pivot towards outright growth concerns, I guess in a way that kind of clearly alters the path of hikes and probably by extension, uh, the terminal rate as well. Uh, but again, given that we won't even be in restricted territory yet, that seems like, a, I think, a relatively low risk on our side. Um, also, I would add that a Fed that really kind of sounds the alarm over growth, I think risks engaging the dollar's anti-cyclical properties. Uh, we've shown that the dollar has been well correlated to U.S. recession probabilities over the last two years. Um, and stressing the downside to the U.S. cyclical outlook, I think, could actually result in dollar strength then uh, rather than weakness. Um, on that point, um, you know, global growth momentum is still a pretty key support to the dollar. And there's no sign that that's giving, giving way yet either. Um, we have a two-factor two dollar model, for example. Uh, and right now, it suggests that the dollar's year-to-date performance is entirely a result of weaker global growth uh, rather than U.S. exceptionalism. Um, and similarly, if you overlay an index of the high beta complex in G10 over our economist's uh, growth forecast revision, which is a proxy for global growth momentum, um, that's actually very well correlated too and suggests that you know, the high beta complex um, is trending exactly in line with kind of global growth momentum. Um, so ultimately, I think while the Fed will be important next week, um, I think the state of the global economy is actually paramount. Uh, and with risks in China and Europe that, as you said, we'll discuss shortly, it's hard, it's hard for me to see that really pivoting quick, quickly against the dollar. Okay, thanks a lot for that, Pat. And I think um, this is a good segue uh, to move to Asia. Arindam, uh, on China, you have been bearish on CNY uh, for a while now. But it does seem from a top-down level that certain things might be improving. For example, the credit impulse has improved. Uh, recent data seems to be beating expectations. I think the export orders in the region are also picking up. Uh, so what is still keeping you bearish on CNY? 
Hey, uh, thanks, Mira. I think uh, all of those are legitimate observations. Uh, the, the one thing I would say is that uh, when economies emerge from COVID lockdowns, as China is doing, one has to be a little cautious about interpreting short-term data surprises as expectations, consensus expectations can be uh, you know, some, sometimes off amid larger volatile swings in the data. Uh, and some of this upside was probably anyways uh, likely given a V-shaped rebound in the second half. And it's also true that the June credit data uh, had a slightly more positive tone to it than in previous months. Uh, but China has a fundamental problem, and it's not on the credit supply side, it's on the demand side. Um, and that's related to the confidence hit that businesses and consumers have taken from uh, these COVID lockdowns, as well as the ongoing stresses in the property market, which is why, for example, in the credit report, we see above average bank demand for short-term bills in lieu of the more real economy impactful lending to uh, households and corporates on a medium to long-term basis. Now, for CNY, uh, this cloudy domestic growth outlook uh, simply adds to what we had always thought is going to be a challenging second half of the year where the external backdrop, in particular China's current account support, which has been such a stellar source of, uh, of strength for the CNY over the last two years, being pressured by rising recession risks and hence final demand out of the G2. Uh, on the financial side of the balance of payments, uh, you know, that part has continued to remain um, challenged by outbound flows from foreign investors from China's bond market. So June saw the fifth straight month of foreign investor bond selling, bringing YTD bond flows well north of $60 billion. And yet with all of that, we've only unwound uh, something like half of last year's inflows, right? So there's a lot of room for investor pessimism to run, if indeed that's the trend that, that we are in. And finally, from a speculative FX investor standpoint, uh, uh, the points worth noting are that there's now better value in shorting the RMB. So uh, back in uh, at the height of the CNY sell-off in Q2, we had fallen to about 100 on the CNY CFEDs basket. That's now back up to you know, around 103. And long dollars CNH is now a positive carry because points have fallen to negative across the entire uh, CNH term structure. Hence, uh, we are long dollar CNH with a 12-month ahead target of 695. Okay, and there has been a fair bit of noise around housing and mortgage suspensions. Um, do you think this will affect the currency outlook as well? I think so, to a limited degree. Uh, first, uh, weak property sector uh, FAI directly offsets the ongoing increase in uh, infrastructure FAI, such that overall investment growth in China continues to have a downbeat tone. And this serves to, if not eliminate, at least certainly trim the upside growth risk that uh, some investors had thought China might have in the second half because of its V-shaped rebound from these COVID lockdowns. Second and more importantly, I think the lack of clarity around a decisive policy circuit breaker for this uh, property sector turmoil feeds this sense that uh, real estate weakness is something of uh, a desirable outcome to policymakers, at least to some degree. The PBOC, for instance, has kept liquidity ample in the interbank market, but it has not cut the policy rate. And not do economists expect it to cut the policy rate for the rest of the year. Now, uncertainty around the policy reaction function in turn breeds tail risk fears around this sector. And it's a systemically important sector in which so much of household wealth is tied to. Right? So this hurts confidence negatively, which in our view is more important for shaping investor expectations on a multi-month basis than you know, one or two weeks or months of near-term data beats. So this manifests directly in equity outflows. So for example, the northbound Stock Connect has seen $4 billion of outflows over the past two weeks. The negative US-China rate differential, I think, will continue to keep foreign investors pulling money out of China. And now that FX hedging costs of CGBs is uh, not only zero, but below zero, 
you know, more investors could be raising their HEPEX hedge ratios in light of these property sector risks. I think you add all of these up, you are looking at uh, a negative outlook for RMB in the second half of the year. But uh, I mean, RMB is clearly in focus because of what's going on in China, but this week was all about Europe, wasn't it, Pia? So just turning it back to you, you know, what do you take away net-net from uh, all the action that we've seen across various aspects of the European uh, landscape? Sure, Arundam. So going into this week, uh, we had outlined um, that developments on gas and North Stream supplies would be the number one issue for the euro. And uh, at least uh, for this week, uh, the worst case outcome seems to have been averted. Uh, but from our vantage point, uh, this doesn't really mean that the energy dependence has been eliminated as a risk for the region. In fact, we think this is gonna be the dominant theme in the coming months. And uh, that is keeping us uh, still bearish on Euro. Um, the focus for us is the asymmetric risk around this issue. And uh, this is uh, evident clearly in our economist estimates of what kind of growth drag you could see in an extreme scenario. Uh, if gas supplies are shut off completely, uh, they, I think in an extreme scenario, growth could fall by four to five percentage points in the following year for the region as a whole. That's a pretty outsized move. And, um, and we got a taste of that today in the flash PMIs, uh, which basically dropped to sub 50 contractionary levels, just given the headlines and the doubling in gas prices that we've seen in the past month. So still, still think that euro dollar can test um, 95 in the coming months as it prices in greater odds of a stress scenario. In a very extreme stress scenario in which gas uh, supplies are curtailed completely, um, that's not our base case, uh, of course, uh, but that in that situation, we still think euro dollar could get to 90 or sub 90 levels. So as far as ECB is concerned, that was the other key event. Um, it's not a game changer I, in, against this backdrop of gas. Uh, the 50 basis point rate hike will not really change the narrative when other central banks have already hiked hundreds of basis points. Uh, the anti-fragmentation tool was a more important uh, metric to look at from our point of view for the euro. Uh, it was a strong delivery in the introduction, but the details, uh, if you dig deeper to see when actual purchases could be triggered, are actually quite messy. Um, in on top of all of this, uh, what we've seen is that Italian politics also has gone um, uh, has gone the wrong way with Draghi uh, resigning as PM, and that's adding to uh, the list of sources of downside risk. I think the primary channel around the Italy situation is uh, through growth and sentiment. Uh, the issue is more idiosyncratic and specific to Italy rather than a systemic issue for the euro as a whole. So. It's probably gonna be more relevant for Italian bond investors than it is going to be for the currency, but it certainly doesn't help the narrative and it's net-net a negative for the currency. So all in all, you add the effects of all of these individual factors and, and that is still, um, I think, bearish for Euro dollar. So, so we heard from Pat earlier about the US and the Fed perspective of the dollar, but uh, having looked at these developments uh, in, in Europe over the past week, you know, where does that leave you with your outlook on the dollar from a more bottom-up perspective? Uh, absolutely. I think um, I think the overall view is still bullish on the dollar. Um, the data in the U.S. is weakening, as Pat pointed out, that the Fed is unlikely to pivot at this point, and they'll continue to prioritize inflation. Uh, as you've seen with the discussion around Europe and the comments that you made on China and them, there are still an underlying fragility outside of the U.S. that really makes the longevity of any sort of short-term cyclical improvements quite suspect, and it makes it quite low conviction. 
So uh, overall, we are still uh, we are still suggesting uh, a bullish view on the dollar uh, and a bearish view on the euro and um, and overall a defensive stance. Uh, also, think within the euro block region as a whole, the Swiss has the potential to outperform here relative to other currencies. So the details of all of those views uh, can be found in our publications on jpmorganmarkets.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. Uh, 2022 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 22nd, 2022.